One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. I think we have to stop listening to people who tell you what they're going to do and start looking at what people have done. It's important to me when I'm interviewing people that I not go into, well, what would you do in this situation? I want to know when you've been in this situation, what have you done? So we need to start electing people who have shown servant leadership, who have shown that they're not out for their ambition or their resume or willing to sacrifice, willing to take on establishment leadership, but not out of a disdain for authority. Um, you know, so like I spent 12 years in the military there were plenty of instances where I had to do as I was told. It wasn't out of a, just a general disdain for authority that I challenged the policy that I did. It was that I saw that it was hurting my organization. And then I thought, you know, we need people with credibility on this subject to speak out and be brave. And it basically ended my military career. I mean, when you sue the Secretary of Defense, you're, you're kind of done in the military. Mm. <laughs> um, this is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Fancy Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Happy Friday, our gift to you today is conversations with two excellent 
women running for the Senate. First, you're going to hear from MJ Heger, who's running for Senate in Texas. And then you'll hear from Stephanie Rose Spaulding, who is seeking the Democratic nomination for Senate in Colorado. First, we want to say how thrilled we are that Amazon selected our book, I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, a guide to grace-filled political conversation for feature in their Kindle summer reading sale. Now through the end of the week, so like today, you guys, get on this, the ebook will be promotionally priced at just $1.99. Download your copy, get some copies for friends and family. It's a good time to stock up. We so appreciate Amazon's and your support. First up, we're going to hear from MJ Hager, who we adore here at Pantsuit Politics. She is an Air Force veteran. She published her memoir, Shoot Like a Girl, where she describes her experience in Afghanistan. And she also sued the Air Force to remove the combat exclusion policy. Recently, she became famous for her run in Texas's 31st Congressional District, in particular, a very famous viral ad featuring her tattoos, which was a genius. So now MJ is running against John Cornyn for the Texas Senate seat up in 2020. And we're going to hear from her. We're so happy to be talking with MJ Heger today, candidate for Senate in the great state of Texas. And we really wanted to start there, MJ, because Nancy Pelosi has talked about how critical Texas is to the future, especially if you are someone who believes that we need more Democratic leadership in the country. So tell us about Texas and what the rest of the country doesn't understand there and why you're the right person to beat John Cornyn and represent Texas in the Senate. Well, thanks for having me. I love y'all show. I'm a huge fan of what you're trying to do, which is, you know, bring nuance and, and kind of reduce this uh, hyper-partisan, you know, hyper-toxic um, environment in politics right now. Um, and I think Texas is a great microcosm of that. Um, Texas has one of the lowest voter engagement, like voter turnout numbers. We're, we're nearly at the bottom of the pack when it comes to nationwide. And I really think that part of that has been because um, you know, I grew up in Texas. I grew up in rural Texas, um, and then I joined the military. And so I was actually raised Republican, and, you know, that's all I knew. I didn't really know. Uh, you know, I, I was raised to believe, like, a Democrat was a four-letter word, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think that that's the case for a lot of people in Texas is that for a generation, we've had, like, one-sided messaging, and now that there's more access to the Internet and social media and We've got candidates that are able to gather the resources that it takes to really talk about their message and talk about the things they're fighting for. We're starting to see more of a balance in, you know, the different solutions being offered to to voters, the different choices being offered. So what we saw last cycle when we had, you know, a bunch of people on the ticket that were really effective at talking to voters, we had double the turnout that we normally do in a midterm. We had presidential level turnout. And that's just exciting for me to see, regardless of the outcome of the election, is to see more people get involved. Um, close elections, you know, increase um, voter engagement and voter turnout. And so I expect that this, uh, this cycle's presidential cycle is going to be, you know, another record breaker. So tell us why you, because of that background, because of understanding what it's like to be raised in rural Texas, you know, you and I share this, that we did sort of a 180 from the political background we came from. Why, based on that experience, your experience in the military, that you are the person to beat John Cornyn? Why you think that his perception in Texas is not exactly as the same as his perception across the United States? Yeah, you know, the thing that I always talk about with like my political journey is that my values haven't changed. You know, I've always been um, for diversity and inclusion. I've always been for women's rights. Um, I was a little naive when I was much younger. 
um, because I was also, you know, fiscally responsible and very patriotic joining the military. And back then, perception was that one side had the monopoly on the values, uh, values of patriotism and national security and fiscal right. responsibility. And then I naively thought that that other side of the spectrum with the, you know, dignity and the freedom and things like that were safe. And, you know, I learned a really hard lesson when I went to try to help the military. I don't know how much of my background, you know, we've talked about at this point, but I I was in the military as a combat rescue helicopter pilot. I was shot down in my third tour in Afghanistan and had to engage the enemy in ground combat. That experience gave me the somewhat unique ability to talk about the experience of a woman being in ground combat. And it put me at the forefront with the ACLU of a lawsuit that was intended to repeal the policy that was keeping women from being able to compete for ground combat jobs. And the you know military agreed that it was a bad policy for, for a military effectiveness. We already had women in combat. The Joint Chiefs unanimously requested that the Secretary of Defense repeal the policy, and he repealed it. It was a big victory for us. We were very excited. And I learned a really valuable lesson about civil liberties that day, which um, when I turned on the news to watch some of the coverage, I saw Jeff Sessions, who was then the uh, senator from Alabama, um, say he was going to legislate that policy back in place. And I realized, you know, um, a lot of that naivety kind of wore off. And I realized that these civil liberties, while, you know, you might grow up thinking that some of them are safe, they're never safe. That You can never think of them as one. It's just ground that you've gained that you then have to stand and defend. And that's when I started becoming a lot more politically active and, and realizing um, the important consequences of elections and how elections matter and how just because I believed in uh, marriage equality and women's rights and things like that didn't mean that my vote didn't my vote didn't count in Texas. I, I, I can't believe how many times I've heard people say that if I'm not voting for the incumbent, my vote doesn't count in Texas because of these wide margins that people are winning by. Um, and now uh, we see a lot of like state House and Senate seats flipping. We see you know, a lot of congressional seats that people who are in the, the, these districts are increasing their turnout a, a lot because they're seeing more choices in front of them. Um, both people from both sides are voting more. And it's just it's really exciting. Um, I think that we need to elect leaders who can stand up to their party leadership, which is something that you guys talk about a lot. Stand up for what's right. Stand up for the state that they're representing. Stand up for their state's values. I think that the the Texas values, when people think about Texas outside of the political spectrum, but they actually think about Texas values, those things aren't reflected back from the people that we're sending to D.C. right now. Um, We think about things from Texas like independence and independent thought because Texans don't register Republican or or, or Democrat, and a third of us are self-reporting as independent. Um, we're the Lone Star State. We fly our flags, even with the American flag. I mean, we're independent-minded states. We believe in strength. We believe in fortitude. We believe in integrity. Things are nonpartisan. They, they, you know, neither neither side has a monopoly on patriotism and on um, national security expertise. We have a wave of veterans running for both sides of the aisle, uh, which I think is healthy for our country. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know we just need to see more moms, more combat vets more regular people who come from middle class representing us in government because, you know, they're, 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 our legislators are charged with finding solutions to challenges that are facing the middle class, but a lot of them have never had to worry about where they're going to find their health care from or, you know, um, how to take care of an, an aging parent and whether or not that parent's going to get Social Security and things like that. A lot of America was introduced to you when you ran for Congress in this amazing commercial where you kicked down doors. And we'll play a little bit of that so our audience can hear some of it. 
Injured and unable to fly, I was barred from my next career choice because I was a woman. Hi. So I came home. Hello. I worked in healthcare and business. I got married and started my family. Wait, barred because I was a woman? That's ridiculous. So I sued the Pentagon. But not just about that job, about the ban on women serving in all ground combat jobs. And I went to DC to lobby Congress, but door after door was slammed in my face. I heard things like, my boss agrees with you, but you aren't in a position to do anything for him. You're not one of our donors. Well, eventually... We are eliminating the direct ground combat exclusion rule for women. We won. And that opened the door for hundreds of thousands of women to compete for elite ground combat jobs. A major victory for our military. Hold on, back up a minute. Not one of his donors? That's not how this is supposed to work. One of those closed doors was my congressman, Tea Party Republican John Carter. Apparently, being his constituent and a veteran wasn't enough to get a meeting. I guess I also needed to be a donor. So now, I'm running against him, taking on a system that cares more about campaign donors and political parties than protecting our country. Congressman Carter hasn't had a tough race his entire career. So, we'll show him tough, then we'll show him the door. I loved that video, especially now that I've read your biography and see that it's so consistent with the entire life that you've lived. You know, that you are an adventurous person, that you are an open person, that you're very vulnerable. I love that you announced in that video, I am a different kind of candidate than you've seen before. And I wonder how you think about being a different kind of politician, because, you know, it it seems like everybody says I'm a different kind of candidate. They get to Washington and it gets just very boring and predictable fast. So how do you think about maintaining your spirit in this role? I think we have to stop listening to people who tell you what they're going to do and start looking at what people have done. It's important to me when I'm interviewing people that I not go into, well, what would you do in this situation? I want to know when you've been in this situation, what have you done? So we need to start electing people who have shown servant leadership, who have shown that they're not out for their ambition or their resume or willing to sacrifice, willing to take on establishment leadership, but not out of a disdain for authority. Um, you know, so like I spent 12 years in the military there were plenty of instances where I had to do what I was told. It wasn't out of a, just a general disdain for authority that I challenged the policy that I did. It was that I saw that it was hurting my organization. And then I thought, you know, we need people with credibility on this subject to speak out and be brave. And it basically ended my military career. I mean, when you sue the Secretary of Defense, you're, you're kind of done in the military. Mm. <laughs> um, so we need to elect people that have shown that kind of courage to be able to take on establishment leadership and, and, you know, be effective at it, not just rail against injustice, but be a change agent and understand change management techniques. And, you know, a lot of the things that are in my personality that I'm listed as reasons why I should never run for office. I mean, if you guys have read uh, the book, then you know I never thought about running for office because that book is the furthest thing from political propaganda as you can get. And, <laughs> you know, it's pretty clear that I never thought I would do that. And aspects of my personality, things like I'm super straightforward. I don't really um, sugarcoat things. I can't say things that I don't mean. I can't pander. I can't say, you know, I've been on the phone plenty of times with supporters or, or, you know, somebody who wants to make a donation and they're, they're talking about something and, and I have to stop them and say, I, I'm sorry, I don't think our values are, are consistent to continue this conversation. And, and I don't think that there's enough of that in politics that kind of 
really um, straightforward honesty, even even at the expense of getting a donation or getting somebody support. And you just, we just need to elect people that are okay with who they are, that um, have that, you know, uh, that fortitude to be able to just kind of stand up and, and say no to corporate tax dollars like I have to be able to to stand firm on their integrity and be able to um, not be swayed or intimidated by powerful people in D.C. Can you tell us about one of those experiences, especially when you were running your house campaign, sort of what you learned or when you had one of those interactions where you had to say, hey, I don't I don't think we see eye to eye on this and how it went, because that's you know, that's what we talk about all the time on Pantsuit Politics. That's what people want to hear. How do you do it? What happens when you do? Um, yes. Um, the details are probably inappropriate for, for um, <laughs> you know, broadcasting. Um, so in general, I mean, I was talking to somebody who was railing about the situation at the border and I understand that their frustration comes from, you know, living in a community that they're trying to balance the safety and security of their family with, um, you know, granting people the dignity of being human beings. Um, so I understand that it's a challenge, but just the way that they were railing, you know, turned into a very racist kind of rant um, using terms that I'm not even comfortable repeating now. And I just have to stop her and say, look, I'm so sorry that, you know, you're having these experiences that are leading you to these, you know, expressing this this in this way. Um, but I don't think that our, our values are consistent. And I, I don't think I'll be voting in a way that will make you feel like you're you know, supporting somebody who shares your values. So I'm not going to pander and tell you that I agree with something just, just to get your support. You know what I mean? There was a fundraiser in a little town, like a little house party that was, that was um, happening where somebody asked a question. I really, I really prefer these like two-way conversational town hall things to the one-way rallies with the applause lines. I guess that's partly because I'm introverted. And we were uh, taking questions from the audience and somebody raised their hand and said, I'm a Republican. Why should I support you? And I was like, well, if a lot of what you're hearing me say resonates, then you should support me and stop thinking about what letter is by, by my name. Because, you know, I, I, am, I definitely am a Democrat and my values are consistent, but the things that made me think I was on the other side of the aisle growing up are still with me. Those feelings of patriotism, that uh, importance that I put on national security, my belief that we should be fiscally responsible, those things are still there. I just feel like we can do those things and be consistent with the platform that I'm promoting, which is, you know, one of equality and dignity and freedom, personal freedom and personal autonomy and, and things like that. So talk to us more about national security and specifically about the Senate's role in national security. Well, you know, I, I talk a lot um, on the campaign trail about how um, I can probably sit here and talk for 30 minutes on, you know, how all of the issues that we talk about today are completely inter- intersectional, you know, um, that they're not, they shouldn't be viewed in a silo. I mean, sometimes we talk about tariffs and trade, and sometimes we talk about humanitarian assistance and climate change, and then we talk about immigration, and really all of them work together in this kind of national security environment. I believe in having strong border security. I was on the counter drug task force for three years. And with my time on that uh, team, I recognized that a lot of the intent behind, you know, different ideas and measures about border security is to keep things out of our country, like illegal drugs and and firearms. And then a lot of those things are coming in over the air and um, over the water. 
that a border wall wouldn't be very effective at. It also it sends such a bad message to the rest of the world when we're supposed to be a beacon of freedom and hope and democracy, which, by the way, I think is a crucial part to the fact that we are, you know, a, a global superpower. I would like to see us maintain our position as a global superpower where people want to be our allies and they don't want to be our enemies. And, you know, a lot of that's going to have to do with understanding that climate change is a huge national security risk and, and the the uh, refugee crisis that it's going to cause or is causing, you know, is a national security risk. And, you know, strategic use of humanitarian aid not only gives us leverage, but also can help stop, you know, crises that arrive at our borders, for example. So strategic use of humanitarian aid, you know, I think is is critical to any kind of immigration debate. These things are all connected. Healthcare is hugely connected to everything. I mean, there's all reasons why it's connected to climate change with asthma and air quality and things like that. But in Texas, uh, being such a military state, you know, I was shocked to find out that 80% of the people, four out of five people who walk into a military recruiting office are not fit for duty, either because of education or because of a healthcare problem that had their parents had coverage, they might have been able to, to, to avoid. That's a huge problem. I mean, if you think about the next generation of Americans as being the ones that have to shoulder the burden of maintaining our position as a world superpower, economic and otherwise, that's scary to me that that's, you know, we're passing down the mantle of our country onto a group of people that we're not preparing. So all of these things are kind of all part of one, um, you know, uh, our status as a world superpower and our national security depend on us finding good, pragmatic, solution-oriented answers to these, these problems. As you pivot from a house race to a state race, what are you going to do differently? What did you learn? Do you feel like this is different or do you feel like your your message, you know, your Texas message is a Texas message no matter what part of the state you're in? That's exactly it. Um, I think that, you know, what I'm going to do different is just scale. You know, I have a lot of the same team back. Um, we've scaled up in all the areas that, that we're going to need to scale. Obviously, Texas is a huge state. I believe that the path to victory, because, you know, we lost the House race, but we moved the needle from the previous midterm by over 90%. I mean, we really closed the gap in that congressional district and really put it on the map in a, in a, in a way that, you know, at the beginning of the race, nobody thought that the, the district should even be in the conversation. And we so nearly won that race. The gap is much, you know, more narrow statewide. Um, but it's also a bigger area, obviously, and a lot more people to talk to. Um, the way that we're going to win that race is by showing people that there's a huge contrast between myself and John Cornyn, um, and that they have an opportunity to choose somebody who's not a career politician, who, you know, doesn't take their marching order from their party leadership, who isn't in the pocket of special interests and corporations, who's going to vote in their best interest, is not going to vote to, you know, construct a border wall that's going to steal land from Texas cattle ranchers and landowners. I am a firearm owner. I'm going to protect the Second Amendment. But I believe that we can do that through implementing gun safety legislation, because I believe that the greatest threat to our Second Amendment rights is the gun violence epidemic. Um, and, and I believe you can implement gun safety legislation without infringing on Second Amendment rights. This idea that any legislation is a violation of our, our rights is that uh, something that the gun lobby and the NRA has, has sold us, unfortunately. And, and, you know, I know you guys distinguish a lot between like party leadership and people who vote along party lines sometimes. And we, this is the first time 
this uh, this cycle would be the first time that Texas has done away with straight party voting, which I think is really healthy because now that we have more access to information about people, people can make choices based on who represents their values instead of like what party they want to see in power. And I believe that, you know, we're going to win this race because people see a working mom who is a combat vet who has bled to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, who is fighting for a better future for her kids in a state where we have the most uninsured kids in the country and, you know, who's going to have their best interests and not my career and my ambition at heart who's doing two-way conversations in town halls and going to be accessible and taking questions for my entire career as long as I'm in office, and who, you know, is going to be running an election very locally. Um, everywhere we go, we're going to be talking to people um, and, and talking about what's important to them and what's important to, um, you know, like, what values they expect me to take to D.C. I, I think that D.C. could do with a good dose of Texas values right about now. So. MJ, you've referenced your team a few times. Tell us what kind of people you look for and surround yourself with. It is important to me to elect folks who are building offices that do good work, because like you said, serving a state like Texas, you need an excellent team to do that. So what are you thinking about as you put that team together? I have always surrounded myself with true fairs. I don't care what level. I mean, we're talking about like interns um, up to um, my right-hand person who is the person who introduced me to your podcast in the first place. Her name is Anna Lee. Yay, Anna Lee. She must be very smart. <laughs> yes, she's amazing. Um, and she's, you know, her and other people on my team are a thought partner for me. You know, I'll walk into the room and ask to find that slack even. I'll be like, Hey, you know, I was thinking about, you know, this idea for immigration or, or whatever, and we're just open and thought partners and they hold me accountable and, you know, they call me out on any BS and, you know, um, it's important that good leaders surround themselves with, with truth sayers. Um, there was a guy who was lower ranking on my team when I was in the military, when I, before I was a pilot, I was an aircraft maintenance officer and I was over 85% of all B2 maintenance, the B2 stealth bomber. And we were facing the Operation Iraqi Freedom shock and awe, like the initial uh, kickoff to the war in Iraq. And it was the first combat deployment of the B-2. And I pulled him aside and said, every time I talk about the timeline that we need to be ready to deploy on, I see you grimace and I need to know what's going on. And he laid out some truths for me that, it, you know, did it in a way that, you know, he, he he's going to have a hard time getting promoted because he doesn't speak politically the way that sometimes you need to get promoted in the military, but I value that so much. And just being able to reach out to him and, 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 and give him a safe space to, to criticize the operation and point things out. Um, I, I can't go into detail because it's classified, but it really enabled us to have a successful combat employment. And I really learned a lot from that. Uh, and I, I, I use that leadership lesson when I build my team. And, and I just, um, even when I hire, I say, tell me about a time when a candidate you worked for, a boss that you worked for, did something you didn't agree with. How did you handle that? And I'm looking for, spoiler alert for anyone who's listening that's going to interview with me, I'm looking for you to say, I, you know, voiced my concern. I did it respectfully. I did it as, as ardently as I could. And, you know, maybe that person agreed with me, maybe they didn't. And at the end of the day, we came to a consensus and walked through the door and, and understood that we were one team, one fight. But behind closed doors, I voiced my, you know, opposition and opinion. And that's really uh, critical for me. And I think it's critical for anybody in my state who supports our president and who's, who, who is like concerned about voting for me because I might have a different platform. 
I need those people to understand that we owe the president. And I don't know if he's going to win re-election or not, but if he's still our president after I get elected, we owe him an environment, if he doesn't build it himself, of people who are going to vocalize to them a different way of approaching something or, um, you know, I don't think that we should do it this way. So, for example, I saw a tweet recently where Senator Cornyn said that it, the time had, you know, stopped. The time had changed and we need to stop denying that climate change is, is man-made and that we need to do something. Of course, I haven't seen any action on his part. I think he knows he's facing a difficult re-election and that the data shows that people in Texas need to see action on climate change. And I just wish that he that that would translate into some kind of action. Like I have talked to the president and talked to him about getting back into the Paris Climate Accord or, you know, like we need to see action on those things. Um, and so I don't think that it's a bad thing if you have a leader who's not going to surround themselves with people who are going to challenge him to go ahead and send people to the table who are going to challenge him. Well, we love your independent spirit here on Pansy Politics, and we really hope that it connects with the independent state of Texas. We will obviously be following closely along and hope to have you on again over the course of the campaign. But tell uh, all of our listeners right now who want to support your campaign, who want to learn more, where they can go. So they can go to mj4texas.com. We just recently launched the campaign, so we're starting to flesh out the, uh, the website. It's really just a splash page right now, but that's a good place to go to for updates. They can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and we're on Twitter at MJ Hager. Um, just spell the last name right because most people spell it wrong. It's H-E-G-A-R. But that's where they can find us and support us. Awesome. Thank you again, MJ. We are, as Sarah said, just excited for you and excited to watch this campaign unfold and hoping that your message connects. So let's talk again soon. Absolutely. And thank you guys for what you do. You know, I really think that there's not enough focus on who our true enemies are. I mean, we've got elections mm-hmm. that are not... We've got um, people who are launching cybersecurity attacks. They're testing nuclear weapons. We've got the situation with North Korea and Iran and so much turmoil in the world. And yet, for some reason, it's so often in our politics, we're looking at people across the aisle and calling them our enemies. And I'd really like to uh, see an end to that. Just try to, you know, bring some unity into politics that can maybe trickle and translate into unity on the streets between our citizens. So thank you guys for, for helping with that. Thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Pantsuit. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth that makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting, 
I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Dr. Stephanie Rose Spaulding joined the faculty of the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, where she would succeed as a scholar and eventually rise to chair the Women's and Ethnics Studies program. But in her early months, she was candidly told that African-Americans often struggle to thrive in the community and many opted not to stay for long. The city had a reputation as a bastion of conservative values and its leaders were predominantly white men. As a diversity and inclusion expert, the irony of the situation was not lost on Stephanie, who decided to stop waiting for the community to come to her and instead began building bridges to people outside her personal and professional circle. Stephanie serves as a senior pastor at the Ebenezer Baptist Church, where people of different faiths, ethnic, economic, and political backgrounds gather every Sunday. She ran for Congress in 2018, and Ben and Jerry's named an ice cream flavor after her during her run for Congress. We heard Stephanie on the show during her congressional run and are so excited to welcome her back as a candidate for Senate. We are so excited to have back, now I think we can call you a close friend of the pod, Stephanie yes. Rose Spaulding, who has announced her run for Senate in Colorado. Congratulations, Stephanie. Thank you so much. I am excited to be back and to be a friend of the podcast. Well, we were not surprised to hear that you were jumping into the Senate race because it was clear when we talked with you after your congressional run that you were excited about being involved and being a voice and that you had made some good progress in your last race. And so tell us about your decision-making process. How did you decide to run for the nomination to challenge Cory Gardner in Colorado? Yes, I definitely was very much fired up from the last campaign and the movement that we were able to produce here in Colorado 
but I wasn't sure what would be next. When February came around, I was looking at either taking a job that someone had offered me or just staying in academia where I currently was. Then I got an email one night and at first I really was like, "Mm, I don't know if this woman is serious or even why, because I didn't really know her. I'd met her a few times, but I didn't know her. She lived in another part of the state, had paid attention to our race in the house the previous cycle. And she basically reached out and said, I, I need you to run for Senate. So it was late that night. I did not respond to her, but I did get up the next morning and I called her. And again, her urgency in the plea was so palpable. She really was like, I am living with a lot of issues as it relates to my children, as it relates to myself as a minority business owner and my family. And I don't know what you are doing. I don't know if you have plans for the future, but I did not get to vote for you in the house race because I didn't live in your district, but I need you and I need you to run for U.S. Senate. And even though other people had asked before, this woman's urgency just, again, it just penetrated my heart. And I realized that there were people that we touched throughout the first campaign that we're still counting on me to be a leader in this state. And so that's how I made a decision. I always get chills when we talk to you. And I just love that. <laughs> I love that there is this kind of messenger to you that, that got you there. So tell us about the Democratic primary and about how you're thinking about running statewide, because that's very different than in your congressional district. Absolutely. The primary here feels kind of like the presidential. Almost every day, someone else is announcing that they're running Right now, we have 12 candidates that are vying for the nomination. Woo! (laughs) Yes. You'd think it was the Democratic nomination for president. Exactly. That's what it feels like. And the one thing that excites me in terms of how I am addressing this campaign is the fact that I am in this race, not for, again, a job or to maneuver a political career for myself, but really in response to the need of community. Like I said, there were other people who had asked me before and I kind of just filed it away. But this mother from Douglas County, she really touched me in a a sense that you have gifts and talents that your community needs. So get off of your hands and, and get on your feet and do this work. And so that's, for me is what's different. We are very grassroots. We are very much person to person in this campaign. And we are the only candidates that live outside of, you know, the the general Denver Boulder area. And while we absolutely know that Democrats in those areas of the state are very fired up, we can't win a statewide race without touching the entire state. And so that's the kind of pathway that I see for myself, even as a Democratic nominee, that we get a perspective in which we are able to communicate with people across the entire state, being in Southern Central Colorado, 
having already built relationships with people in rural Colorado, in the Plains, as well as the Arkansas River Valley. That's what's different about me in this race. What lessons did you learn from the House race, though, that you feel like can carry over to a statewide race? I definitely learned that people want you to show up. You cannot win a race by money alone. We didn't necessarily have a lot of money, but there, you know, we were able to pay attention to other races and Coloradans want relationship. They do not want someone who is only campaigning on Twitter and social media or on television. They want to see you. They want to ask you complex questions and they expect to have an answer. So without being able to get to the 64 counties and have genuine conversations with people, this work cannot be done. We also learned about the infrastructure of just party politics and learning how to navigate around them. There are are barriers often in place when we think about at the national level, how Democrats assess districts or assess races. And that doesn't always turn out to be true. We've seen upsets with Ayanna Presley. We've seen upsets with Jahaina Hayes, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right? So the traditional methods that Democrats have held true to for five plus decades is not what's going to win this election cycle. When you think about Colorado as an entire state at this moment going into this election, what does Colorado really need in its senator? What are you hearing from people as you talk across the state? Someone with integrity who is going to do exactly what they say they are going to do. Unfortunately, the incumbent has really been viewed as spineless. And we see that with the rescinding of the Denver Post endorsement Colorado doesn't want someone who is going to campaign on one thing and then be absent when it's time to vote in Congress after elected. So they want someone with integrity. They also want someone with a vision and the ability to see boldly into the future. Right now, we are experiencing crises and potential crises that Coloradans want to address. We're in a drought. The Colorado River is being drained tremendously. And people are like, what happens in 10 years when our water supply continues to decrease? So they want someone who has integrity. They want someone who has a vision to create a future for their children's children. And they want someone with grit who is going to be able to stand up to party and represent the state. Colorado is changing. I mean, I think that the politics of the state are changing. Lots of people moving. It's becoming more purple. When you're outside of the big metropolitan areas in those rural areas, how do you make that part of Colorado feel like it's not being left behind? First thing is to show up because so many campaign and they only campaign in those metro areas. So being present is the first thing. Secondly, is to show up and shut up, to listen, listen more than one speaks to what's actually happening in those in those communities. I was having a conversation with some 
activist groups, and they were talking about the changing economies and the need to go into green technologies and how corporations are looking at our rural communities as the space for, you know, cyber training or doing the work of green industries. And my response was, you can't expect them to do telework and this development without the right infrastructure. People don't recognize that we are still, even though there has been funding from the state level, that from legislation that has been passed in terms of building the infrastructure for broadband, we are still looking at communities that don't have it yet, or they don't have highways that are truly accessible. So listening first before coming with solutions. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. So how are you spending your time right now? I can imagine that it's daunting to try to be in all of those places and have those listening discussions. What's an average week like for you? Well, I probably get more sleep than anyone else, but we are pretty much doing events every night, whether those are listening conversations, meet and greets, and small dollar donations. We still and refuse to take corporate PAC money for our campaign. So we are doing a lot of, again, conversations with people. And then I spend a lot of time on the phone during call time. But again, calling people who actually live here in Colorado, developing those relationships, enhancing the relationships that we already have, and just touching people, connecting with people. Tomorrow, we have meet and greets um, throughout, again, like throughout the week and showing up, showing up to house district meetings and talking to PCP captains and stuff like that. How is the conversation in the primary different than you expect the conversation to be in the general? What's really motivating the Democratic voter in Colorado? So the primary is really about who is the most Democrat, right? And what are the values that represent Democrats here in Colorado and how to distinguish oneself? Many of the candidates, like I said, are going to be talking about the same issues. There won't be too much difference in regards to values, right? We're going to be talking about environment. We're going to be talking about healthcare. We're going to be talking about the economy and the sense of quality of life for people as it relates to displacement and housing and being able to have a sustainable survival space in terms of living as it relates to the economy. So many of those things are going to be the same, but in the primary questions are going to be, how do you distinguish yourself even in talking about the environment or climate? How do you distinguish yourself in addressing what our need is? Is it going to be a single payer option? Are you an advocate for Medicare for all? Or do you think that there's another way to address health care in our community? So those are the primary questions. So, Stephanie, how can people get involved in your campaign and stay in touch with everything that you have going on? You can follow me on Twitter at Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-Y-F-O-R-C-O. So that's Stephanie4CO. That's our Twitter That's our Instagram, that's our Facebook, and it's our website, stephanie4co.com. And will you leave us with just who's the kind of person that you want involved in your campaign and what's your promise to the people who are supporting you? 
We want people who are really invested in people on this campaign, not others who are looking to do politics as usual, who are focused primarily on traditional ways of running a campaign, which generally is money, money, money. We want people-centered folks talking to each other and building networks in their community, doing very localized work. And so that's what we're looking for. That's the ethos of our campaign. And this is what we promise unto Coloradans that they are sending a senator to Washington, D.C., who cares about Colorado and not somebody's corporate agenda or the agenda of some Washington network politics. Stephanie, we are so excited that you're running. We are looking forward to staying in touch with you during the campaign. And best of luck as you're out there talking to everyone. I hope people can really hear you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I am grateful for you both and and for the audience of your podcast. Like this is this is who we are. Thank you both to MJ and Stephanie. We are so excited to see what this new campaign cycle brings for them, because as we've talked about on the show, whatever the results, their service and the way that they talk about campaigning, the way they talk about politics in their states and public service will do immeasurable good no matter the outcome. We are Really excited about our episode coming up next Tuesday. We're going to be talking with 2020 independent candidate for president, Mark Charles. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff. Cherry Haas, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 